kids can teach us a lot. And one of those things, I believe, is mindset when learning new skills. So if we watch a kid and they're starting to walk, once in a while they'll get upset when they fall down and start crying and get upset. But most of the time they pop right back up and just keep on trying. If you watch a toddler learning to shoot basketball in their little hoop, very rarely do they throw a fit when they miss shots. And that's probably just because they're learning a new skill. I mean, really, they're just playing. And the goal when you're learning a new skill like double unders is to be childlike in the sense that you are lighthearted, you're having fun, you're being process-oriented rather than product-oriented where you're focused on the outcome. And then one of the main goals is not to place judgment on yourself when you make mistakes because mistakes are part of that learning process. (laughs) And if you find yourself getting mad at a jump rope, you need to reevaluate more than just your movement. And whatever you do, don't let yourself get beat by a freaking jump rope. Hey, it's Ben Wise, and this is The Fitness Movement. The Fitness Movement is brought to you by Zor Fitness. Zor Fitness is my company and my platform to deliver incredible training-related content to people just like you. I don't just podcast. I write in-depth fitness articles. I break down common movements in the sport of fitness. I program workout plans, and I offer one-on-one coaching for competitive and recreational athletes. And the best part is most of what I have on ZorFitness.com is totally free. Check out these resources by going to ZorFitness.com. That's Z-O-A-R Fitness.com. Hope to see you there. And welcome back to my rant on double underdevelopment. So the outline of today is going to be me taking you through three different levels. I'm going to call it beginner, intermediate, and advanced athletes, those three silos. And for each of these levels, I'm going to pull things out that will be helpful for you to focus on and that will speed your progress during this time. So it could be mistakes I see, helpful little tips and tricks, um, challenges that you may face during that time, whatever the case may be. So without further ado, let's jump into beginners. So beginners, I'm going to be defining as someone who has less than 75 unbroken double unders. And for each of these categories, I'm just going to have a little test that someone can do. So in this case, it's really simple. You just do as many double unders as you can. And most people do that while they're learning. So really for this beginner, they're just focused on learning the skill of double unders. And this is the person that I was really addressing in the intro person that gets mad at the jump rope a lot because they're trying to learn and they just get frustrated because they can't figure it out or they're just tripping up all the time. Realize that yes, intermediate and advanced athletes are going to still deal with this where like every once in a while, it's just like the timing's off and it's super frustrating. Even if it is like an advanced athlete, for example, if they're in a competitive environment and they just, maybe their legs are blown up and they just keep tripping over double unders in the middle of a workout and it's a really important online qualifier or something, or they're at an actual competition, like, yeah, that's going to be super frustrating and you have to learn to stay calm and kind of work through that. So it's important for us to realize that whether you are a beginner, intermediate, or advanced athlete, it's going to be helpful if you pay attention to the other stages because if you're a beginner, you're hopefully going to progress through intermediate and hopefully eventually advance. And as an advanced athlete, it's still helpful to kind of map your journey and see where you're at and to be able to continue to build a base that is strong to support your current performance. So either way, wherever you're at, it's helpful for you to learn and understand the spectrum of the skill. So the first thing that I recommend for beginners is that they actually follow a progression while learning double unders. Again, this is someone who's less than 75 unbroken. So we're trying to learn the skill of doing unbroken double unders. That's the goal with these progressions. And I have a playlist on YouTube that I will link in the show notes. So that'll be zorfitness.com slash podcast slash zero ten, a three digit number for this episode number. 
And if you go there, you'll get that YouTube playlist. And that playlist is actually very helpful for both beginners and more advanced athletes. A beginner is going to use that for potentially over the course of several months to be working through each of those layers and just slowly start to add on their drill maybe every week or two weeks and slowly working into unbroken reps and mixed motor work and actually competing. And then a more advanced athlete is going to use that same progression as a warm up. So they can use the exact same drills that the beginner might use over the course of several months. They're just going to use it over the course of maybe five or 10 minutes to get warm to be ready to go for a workout. So let's talk about a few of the drills I have in this progression. The first one is high, slow, single unders. Really, this is just getting down the jump. It's getting blood flow. It's getting warm. Next is pogo hops. If you think about like a pogo stick where it just pistons straight up and down, you're just jumping straight up and down. You're not actually having the rope in your hands. You're just hopping up and down at the height that you are going to use for double under. So getting in the rhythm, making sure that you're rebounding so you're not landing and then making a counter movement and jumping again. You're rebounding each time because that's a skill you need for double unders. Next is penguin hops. And with penguin hops, you're doing the exact same jump as the pogo hop where you're jumping into the air with that same height that you would for double unders. But now you're going to be slapping your legs twice when you're in the air. So you're looking like a penguin when you're jumping. That's why it's called a penguin hop. And one of the reasons why I like penguin hops very much is because it mimics the timing and coordination someone needs to be able to do double unders. And it also incorporates the sound element. So a very important part of learning double unders is to be able to hear the rhythm. So each time you jump, you'll hear your feet hit the ground and smack and rebound. And then you'll also hear your hands hit your thighs twice. So it'll sound something like this. And then the next drill is very similar, but it's a double wrist flick. So now you're actually having your arms in the orientation that you would. You're doing that exact same jump to the double under height and you're flicking your wrist twice, just like you would if you were actually doing a double under. So you're pretending you're holding the rope, but you don't actually have the rope in your hands. So next is double under attempts where you're actually trying to put it all together and the timing and the coordination and the jump. And now you actually have the rope and you're trying to spin it. Obviously, the goal with double under attempts is just getting more unbroken reps. The other goal, though, that I think is actually more important than the number of reps you're getting is how those reps look when you are in the air. So oftentimes people look really good and fluid and nice and tall and long when they're in the air and kind of relaxed when they're doing all these different hops without the rope. And as soon as they try to spin that rope really quickly, they tense up and they start to pike at the hip or they lift their feet up in the air and kind of close off at their hip where they fling their feet back behind them, like all this weird stuff that you would never see an advanced athlete do when they're doing double unders. You'll see all these kind of weird airs show up. So the goal is to stay nice and long and relaxed when you're in the air and really only moving from the wrists and the elbow. So I'm going to stop right there for the beginner athlete, but that progression continues. So it goes rope accelerations where you're adding speed, unbroken reps then when you're adding volume, and I mean like much more than the beginner could handle, um, then adding mixed motor work, so adding fatigue into that, and then competing, which is adding arousal. So all those layers can get added onto this progression as well, and that's more of a long-term approach, but those one through five is just a really good starting place for a lot of beginners. And then if we move away from this progression, the other thing that I want beginners to be focusing on is just good motor learning principles, best practices for you to be able to learn the skill of getting double hunters. So there's going to be three principles that really apply best to learning double unders. The first is duration. So how long are you actually going to be practicing in each session? So in other words, each time you pick up your rope to practice, how long are you actually practicing for? So the goal should be low to moderate duration. So maybe 10 to 15 minutes of practice each time. 
And the reason I say that is because if you're only doing five minutes, then it's going to take three or four minutes to get warm. And you might only have a few attempts at best to be able to actually practice your double unders. And then the opposite is true where if you do like 20, 30, 40 minutes or more, you're just going to be so broken by the time you're done with that. Like your, your calves are probably going to be destroyed. Your timing's going to start to wear down. Like mentally, you'll just be kind of drained. Like you can't focus that long and your body's also like your tissues aren't meant to handle that yet. So just kind of backing off and not letting yourself get too into it too aggressively too quickly, but also giving yourself more than enough time to be able to get warm and be able to get some good practice in. So I, I would say 10, 15, 20 minutes in that range would be a great place to start in terms of duration. Next is frequency. So in other words, how often are you practicing? I recommend having a high frequency where you are practicing at least three days per week. You know, I would say more like four or five is probably ideal, especially if you're keeping them kind of on the shorter end, like a 10 to 15 minute practice, you know, three, four or five days a week would be fantastic. If you do much less than three times a week where you're maybe only doing it once or twice per week, you're really getting very little carryover and it's much harder to learn something if you do it with such a low frequency. So imagine we have two different people. The one person, they go to the gym five days a week and every single time they go to the gym, they warm up really well and then they do 10 minutes of very high focus, high intention, double under practice. And the other person, every two weeks, they get a workout that has double unders in it and they attempt four or 500 double unders each time in that workout. Obviously, the person who comes in and practices with high intention every single day and a lower volume, higher frequency is just going to learn those movements so much quicker. And this applies to all movements, but especially applies to double unders. So we have duration, frequency, and now fatigue. So fatigue is just saying, are you tired while you're practicing? So the answer should be no. Fatigue should be low. As much as you can minimize it, the better. One of the reasons for this is because it takes breathing out of the equation. So you don't have to worry about your breathing as much. And realistically, as you're practicing, you could not even breathe. And if you're only getting 10, 15, 20 unbroken double unders, that's not even going to matter because it's only going to take you 10 or 15 seconds to get through that. And it's really not going to be an issue. So what I see people get wrong all the time is that they have high fatigue in workouts. So they're in the middle of a workout while they're trying to learn to do double unders. And they're also pairing this with movements that are relatively high power and they're breathing hard. And then they're trying to learn the double under in the middle of the workout. And they're trying to race their buddy through as they do it. Like that's not going to work. What you need to have is maybe having one attempt every 60 or 90 seconds, depending on how many unbroken you're getting. So if you're only getting five unbroken double unders, okay, maybe you could practice an EMOM of one attempt at double unders. So one minute you might get two, another minute you might get 10, and that's fine. And you'll be completely recovered by the time you go to practice that the next time. If someone has 15 or 20 or 25, they should maybe be doing it every 90 seconds or every two minutes. So again, keeping fatigue low. So why can't people do double unders? If you've gone through that and you still can't do it, or you just haven't gone through that yet, and I think these still probably apply, why can't you do double unders? So I got three reasons why I think people can't do them. Number one, you can't rebound or you don't rebound well. I recommend having a hundred pogo jumps. So those just hopping up and down at the height that you can do double unders. You should be able to do a hundred unbroken jumps. No problem. And at no point should you have to land and then kind of rebound and jump again. Every single time it should be a rebounding jump and you should be able to get to the exact height that you need for double unders. Number two is that you can't spin quickly while staying coordinated. So either you start to spin quickly and maybe your left goes a little bit quicker than your right, or likely it's your dominant hand will spin a little bit quicker and a little bit tighter. And then your other hand's not going to stick with it. 
where you stop to draw like really small circles with your hands. So some one of the helpful analogies that I've heard is pretending like you're standing in like a really narrow hallway and the hallways were like whiteboards and you got expo markers as the handles of the jump ropes that you just be drawing tiny little circles right by your sides. So you're trying to keep them really tight, really small, and that's what's going to help you a lot. So one of the things that I really recommend for people who have a hard time with staying coordinated is getting some of those wiffle ball handles where it's just a jump rope handle and it's a little rope and it's attached to a wiffle ball. So you're spinning wiffle balls around. So in other words, you don't actually have to jump to be able to spin your hands. And it's a really great visual because you can actually see because your hands are working independently, whether your one hand is spinning quicker, whether one's kind of off axis and you want them kind of going towards each other a little bit out in front of you, almost crossing like a jump rope would. And if you have those wiffle handles, you should be able to spin those two minutes at the speed that you would spin double unders and really nice tight circles. And that should look pretty and in sync the whole time. So if someone can rebound consistently and someone can stay coordinated with their hands, there's no reason they should not be able to put those two things together with some practice. And then the third and final reason why I think people still can't do double unders if their mentality just sucks. <laughs> and I don't know how else to put that, but it was exactly what I outlined in the intro. Someone does not have a childlike mindset when they're learning skills and they're just almost judging themselves and they get really frustrated really easily and they're not just having fun while they're trying to learn a new skill. And one of the things we have to realize is that there's a tension and there's a transition that needs to take place when we're learning new skills. Skills start off being conscious and we'll eventually move them to being unconscious. We start thinking and then eventually we'll move to intuition. And this is a concept that was talked a lot about in the inner game of tennis, which is a book. I'll link to it in the show notes. So basically it outlines that we need to be able to trust our unconscious and to not have to try to think really hard about everything just kind of let skills flow. This is hard because as we're learning, we have to be able to process things. We have to be able to think about things in a certain way, but then eventually we're going to have to move this away from a conscious thought pattern, really thinking about it to again, more of an unconscious pattern and more of an intuition based thing. So just understand as a beginner that you are fighting this battle. And this goes for any skill that you learn. They all skills start off as being conscious things. And then eventually they'll move to unconscious things. This always follows this pattern. And we could say the same thing for walking on your hands, for doing toes to bar, like any of these things you have to first consciously process and think about a certain way, but eventually it's going to move where you just do that movement and it's that thing and you don't have to think about it anymore. Your body just kind of does it when you ask it to do it. And that's the whole point. And it's really important then to be able to start to have more of a soft focus, which I'll talk more about for the intermediate athlete because it's really important there, but it's basically getting someone to start to transition between a conscious thought and an unconscious action. And I'm going to end off talking about three tips that were helpful for me in particular when I was learning double honors. And it really wasn't that long that I was learning double honors, maybe three or four years ago, maybe five years ago. But I remember it very vividly what it was like to be a beginner and to get frustrated and to try to learn something. Like, I think even if you're someone who's like, man, I can't get double honors, I'm super frustrated with the fact that other people have them and I don't have them, realize that other people are dealing with the same thing, but with a different skill. So for example, I've been trying to learn static handstands and they've been going terribly slow for me and I've gotten frustrated many times and I know that's not the correct mentality to have. Too often I don't have a childlike learning state. So realize that you are certainly not alone in this journey and that everyone's dealing with it in a different way. Like there's plenty of people out there who are getting frustrated because they haven't gotten their first muscle up yet. There's plenty of people who are frustrated because they haven't been able to do handstand walks yet or they haven't gotten their first handstand push up, or they haven't been able to do unbroken toes to bars. Every single athlete deals with this. It's just a different degree. 
Here are three things that I found particularly helpful for myself when I was learning double unders. The first thing that is super helpful is shortening your rope. So oftentimes I find that beginners especially think that they need to have a longer rope and that that's going to be helpful. Often what happens though, and what I found and I discovered as I was learning was that as I was starting to be able to focus on other things besides just my hands moving and my feet jumping was that as I had a longer rope, I realized that would slap out in front of me and then it would bounce up and hit my laces and trip me. So it was actually so long that rather than hitting underneath me and kind of skimming underneath, it would hit out in front and then bounce back up and it was actually causing me to trip. And oftentimes what people think is, oh man, I'm tripping on my rope. My rope must be too short when in reality it's too long and that's why they're tripping is because it's actually hitting out in front and bouncing up. So a good landmark is if you're holding the handles of your jump rope in your hands and you step on your rope with one foot and you hold it up to your body, it should come definitely below your armpit. I would say like nipple height is probably about right for a lot of people. And it's going to start off when you are a beginner that's a little bit longer and over time you're going to shorten that rope up so it spins easier. If you have a shorter rope, it hits a little bit more underneath you and it skims a little bit quicker. It's just going to have less friction as a whole and it's a lot easier to spin that rope. The other thing that does when you shorten up your rope is that it brings your hands into the correct position. So rather than you having your hands way out, pointed out to your sides, your arms are raised up to make that rope the right length, you become forced to have your hands in tight close to your sides where you are in a more relaxed position and you can start to rotate a little bit easier. And a side note for this shortening your rope, just because you're using a preset jump rope size. So for example, you go over to the rack at your gym and you pick up one that says 5'6", if you're a 5'6 female, that does not necessarily mean that that rope is the right size for you. I found those to be inaccurate. I've used those before and oftentimes they are too long. And just so you know, I've used Rogue's preset jump ropes before. I've grabbed one that was 5'6 to 6 feet on 5'7". I was like, I'll start out here. It was too long. I put that one back, grabbed the 5 foot to 5'6" tripped again because it was still too long. I put that one back, grabbed the one that was four, six to five feet. That one was the perfect length for me. So realize that oftentimes these jump ropes are just far too long if they're preset. So you're going to have to play around with this. Again, the best way to measure is just see kind of where it comes up to your body. If it's somewhere around your nipple, great. If it goes all the way up to your armpit or past that, it's way too long. You need to shorten it up. My second tip is to turn off the music. Ideally, silent. So there's no music. There's no noise at all. If there's a time where your gym's empty or you can do this at your house, just don't do it on pavement. It'll chew up your rope. But practicing in silence is ideal. It gives you a really good sense and awareness of the timing that you need to have based on the sound. I would always get super annoyed with my home gym a couple years ago as I was learning double honors because I would practice at home and it would be completely silent and I'd be getting them. I'd be doing really well. And then I would get into my home gym and I'd be doing a workout and they'd crank up the music. Number one, just my total level of arousal will be jacked up because of the loud music. But two, I couldn't actually hear the rope and I would just start to mess up all the time because of it. So I got really frustrated with that. So when I started coaching, I always made sure to just turn down the music just a little bit every time we did a double under workout. The goal is for you to be able to hear the slap and the spin of your rope. So you should be able to hear the that timing. You should be able to hear that coordination. You should be able to be able to use that rhythm as to keep yourself on track with your movement. My third point is to choke up on the handle. A lot of people, they hold their jumper ups. A lot of beginners hold their jumper ups all the way at the end. And then they create really big circles because of that. And then they're moving from their shoulder a lot. You don't want to move much at all from your shoulder. It should be almost all from your elbow and your wrist. You want to think about choking up or kind of pinching at the end towards the rope side of your handle. So imagine you had a pen and you were trying to write your signature and you held the pen at the very end. 
Like that would be so much harder to have any sort of dexterity while you're doing that compared to if you held all the way up towards the tip, like everybody does. And then you have a lot of control. It's the same thing with that handle. You want to hold up towards the end that the rope is attached to. And that way you have a lot more control and you can draw really tight, small circles because that's the goal. That's really what's going to get that rope humming for you. So let's move on to the intermediate athlete. The test for the intermediate athlete is a 10 minute EMOM of 50 double unders in less than 27 seconds. So to be considered an intermediate athlete and no longer beginner, you have to complete that 10 minute EMOM of 50 double unders in less than 27 seconds every single time. You can never miss that window. If on your eighth minute, you take 28 seconds, sorry, you're not an intermediate yet. So I highly recommend people, if you think you're somewhat proficient at double unders to give this EMOM a go, 10 minutes, 50 double unders in less than 27 seconds. If you do not complete that, you are still a beginner. If you're still a beginner, you should be doing unfatigued practice. So I just really want to remind people that you can't skip steps. Don't try to go faster than you can. Build up your foundation first before moving on. If someone can complete that EMOM, then there's two focal points that I recommend to help get them from being an intermediate athlete to being an advanced athlete. The first thing is breathing. So to complete that 10 minute EMOM, you're going to be doing 500 total double unders in those 10 minutes. You are going to be breathing somewhat hard during that at some point. And you're going to have to be able to breathe in a sustainable way in order to get through that EMOM. So for double unders, there's two breath ratios that are going to work, either two to one or four to one. So in other words, this is a breath to rep ratio where it could be two double unders per single breath or four double unders per breath. So a two to one would sound something like this. And a four to one ratio would sound something like this. So it's important that you have gears and that you're able to switch between this four to one and two to one breath ratio because double unders, you don't know if you're going to show up in the middle of a workout, the beginning of a workout, the end of the workout, if you're super fatigued versus not fatigued at all. So you need to have options to be able to play with this. So if you're less tired and it's the beginning of the workout, you're probably going to do a four to one because it's going to be a lot easier to breathe a little bit slower and you'll stay a little bit more relaxed in that slower breath cadence. Whereas if you're tired, you're going to have to exchange gas just a lot quicker and you're going to have to transition to that two to one. This is going to be one of the main challenges for an intermediate athlete to be able to get them to be in an advanced level because they're going to have this tension of focusing on the movement because they're not 100% proficient yet and focusing on the breathing. But in order to get to an advanced level, you're going to have to make that movement unconscious. And for this intermediate athlete, one of the reasons why this is so challenging is because as a beginner, you can't focus on breathing because you have to focus on the movement. And then you're going through this transition time as an intermediate athlete where you're moving from focusing on just the movement itself to being able to focus on higher order tier two skills like breathing. And you're going to have to be able to focus on something other than the movement itself if you want to be in the advanced category because then we're going to start to add other movements in during the advanced category. And one of the things that's super helpful is maintaining what I call a soft focus. So you're not focused on any particular thing, but you definitely have high mental acuity. So you're focusing really intently, but you're not focusing on any one particular thing. So your kind of focus just kind of hovers almost is what I describe it as. So you're not necessarily thinking about what you're actually doing with your hands. You're not thinking about your jump timing, but you're definitely not thinking about anything else either. It's almost like meditation where you're like you're trying to block out thoughts and anything that's going to distract you or throw you off from kind of the nothingness that you need. So your goal is to almost have your mind stay clear in a way, but 
nothing inhibiting your ability to be able to spin that rope and focus but not necessarily focusing on spinning the rope, if that makes sense. This is one of those things that's extremely difficult to explain in language, but it's something that intuitively, if you have something else that you can compare this to, makes a lot of sense. Likely, if that made no sense at all, it's because you haven't experienced it yet, and some people are out there probably nodding along with me, and that's probably because they are decent at double unders or other skills where this is something that they understand, this idea of a soft focus. And then the second thing I think intermediate athletes should focus on is speed. So rope speed, so spinning faster. And the reason that I recommend starting here and not going towards unbroken reps, just trying to get like 100, 200, 300 unbroken double unders, rather than that, trying to tick by those reps faster. So the reason why I want you spinning faster is when you're spinning faster, you don't have to jump as high. So you jump lower and when you jump lower, your heart rate stays lower. And then also you get through the reps faster. So that combination of jumping lower, lower heart rate, and getting through reps quicker is really the secret to getting really good at double unders. If you, even when you're tired, default to doing double unders very fast, where you don't have to jump high, but you spin really quickly with your wrists, that is a great default pattern because you get through the reps quicker when you do that. And I find if people are constantly getting sore from doing double unders, this is probably one of the areas that they need to focus on. And actually, those people often get tempted to focus on their calves, like my calves are tired, so I need to work more on my calves and develop them and try to get the right qualities for them. But really, you need to focus on spinning faster so that your calves don't actually get sore in the first place. So you need to spin faster and then add layers after that. And then our third and final category is the advanced athlete. So an advanced athlete, their test is a 10-minute EMOM, once again, 50 double-unders each minute on the minute, but adding 10 burpees that same minute. So in the same minute, being able to do 50 double-unders and 10 burpees. So completing that, never missing that one-minute window, every minute on the minute for 10 minutes, 50 double-unders, 10 burpees. So if you think you're an advanced athlete, give that one a go. You should definitely be able to do that. And yeah, it might hurt a little bit, but you should be able to do double-unders well while you're tired. And so an advanced athlete for double-unders makes double-unders very aerobic. So they're very sustainable and repeatable. So let's just say I'm talking to maybe 1% or 2% of my listeners right now who are an advanced athlete. And by the way, even if you're not, there's still a lot you can learn from this. What can you do as an advanced athlete to go from maybe, let's call it like a sanctionals level where you're still definitely advanced to getting to a games level where you're going from advanced to elite? What characteristics need to change for you in order to get you to that next level? I have four different characteristics here. The first one is muscular tension is moving to elastic energy. So often athletes who are at an advanced level as a whole in the sport of fitness, either one, have a natural body size and shapes that allows them to be pretty good at CrossFit, or they've manipulated their body size and shape to get to as close as their ideal to be able to be able to perform well at that sport. Either way, they've kind of optimized their total body size and shape for the sport. And by the way, this is totally a necessary thing for you to become really good at this sport. Like if you are 6'6 and 260 pounds, you're not going to go to the games. Sorry. Like you're going to have to lose weight to be able to even have an attempt, right? Obviously you can't shave off your height, but you have to be able to do the most that you can to optimize your body size. Likewise, if you're a 410 female, you're probably going to have a really hard time getting even into a proficient zone for your weightlifting movements just because you are such a small person. So a person who has optimized their body size or naturally has the body size and shape to be good at CrossFit, who is an advanced athlete, likely has a bunch of qualities that don't necessarily make them great at double hunters. Think about someone who has a really good snatch and a high back squat. That person can probably produce a ton of muscular tension 
And often they're really good at creating that energy through muscular work, but they're often not as good at translating that into elastic energy. The games athletes can be both. They can be very strong and powerful and have all the muscular tension that they need in a given moment, but they can also transfer to elastic energy to be very efficient and springy when they need to be. It's no different than thinking about how many times do we get an athlete who is really good at squatting and running at the same time. It happens occasionally, but for the most part, those things are contrasting against each other. And as someone gets really good at one because of the demands of the sport, they often get worse at the other one. It doesn't always happen that way, but it often happens that way. And this is the same way with the muscular tension thing versus the elastic energy. Oftentimes, athletes who are really good at weightlifting movements, they assume that they're going to be good at jumping a bunch of times because their legs are strong. And in reality, what happens is their legs blow up during double unders because they're not being efficient and using their elastic energy. They're relying on muscular tension. And I think the biggest solution for this is going to be a long-term systemic approach where you just got to give that athlete more exposures where in order to be successful, they have to use elastic energy. And this can be increasing exposures to plyometric activities, jumping as a whole, where systemic tension is pretty low. And one of these things can be going back to basics and pulling back some of those layers and really getting that athlete to be able to just rebound and look good while they're doing it and just stay nice and long and tall when they're in the air. The second point that's going to take someone from being an advanced athlete to an elite athlete is their state. So a lot oftentimes people who are an advanced level but not an elite level have limitations in their state in the sense that they're becoming too sympathetic too quickly while doing double unders because their respiratory rate is too high. So what they're doing is they're sustaining a one to two breath ratio where once again, that would be one breath for every two reps. Let's just say we have a high level athlete and they're using a one to two breath ratio, which is super common by the way, and just say they do 120 jumps per minute. Then that means by definition that their respiratory rate or the number of breaths they take per minute is 60. So that means they're breathing like this. And just right there, I actually started to change state already. I started getting a little lightheaded. I started getting really alkaline and that makes you get lightheaded. But let's just say that they move to then a one to four breath ratio. So that would sound something like this. So obviously that is a much more relaxing breath cadence and that helps that athlete stay parasympathetic longer. If you don't understand what I'm talking about in terms of sympathetic, parasympathetic, I highly recommend that you go listen to episode 008 on shifting state. I talk all about that there. So I'm not going to cover it again today. Go back and listen to that one. So the biggest thing for athletes who are dealing with limiters in state is that they can start to transition to a different breath ratio as they need to, or they can even transition to nasal breathing during that one to four breath ratio. And this is just another way that high-level athletes can focus on other tier two skills, breathing being another tier two skill. So it's not the movement itself. It's something that's elevated above that. That's what I mean by tier two. The third point here is confidence. So an athlete that is at an elite level, not just a sanctionals level, but elite, they're at the games. They are confident through mixed middle transitions, firstly, and then through trips. So in a workout like 18.3 for the open, It had 100 double unders between every single movement. So most people, even who got pretty decent scores, by the way, they still kind of took their time between those transitions. They got to the next movement. They probably did that movement unbroken, 
but then they kind of took their time getting back to the rope or back to the next movement. Whereas the elite athletes, they speed up those transitions and they go right into the next piece and they're confident that they can get to the rope again and keep moving. And if they do trip up, it's just because they tripped. So that's the other point is that they're confident through trips. If they trip, it's a one breath, reset, relax your face, don't freak out and get right back to work. And they're able to do that through competition, through changing state, through all these other tier two skills that are necessary for them. Lastly, point four here is repeatability. And I mean within the same weekend. So if I use something like 18.3 in this example, and let's just say that athlete finished. So they're definitely elite. There's only a few people in the world that finished that workout. Then they did 800 double unders, not including their warmup. So let's just say they could do close to a thousand double unders on that day, including warmup. So let's just pretend that athlete tested on Friday, which is usually the case. And by the time Sunday rolled around, they're like, oh man, I'm not doing as well on the leaderboard as I wanted to. I'm going to have to retest. And on Monday, three days later, they come back and do another 800 to 1,000 double unders. So think about the total volume of that weekend. They have to be able to repeat that at that high intensity. The good news here is that soft tissue handles that high volume, whereas cartilage and joints do not handle that. So to illustrate this point, I'm going to read a quote, and this is from an article that I wrote that was what I learned from 15,000 double unders in 30 days. And I'll link to that in the show notes if you want to read the whole thing. But this is the quote. Calves are soft tissue and they are meant to break down and repair because they are vascular, meaning they are delivered sugar, amino acids, and oxygen on a minute by minute basis. This circulation and vascularity also aids removal of metabolic waste. It's a good thing if your calves get sore from double unders, provided that your knees and ankles didn't take a beating. Unlike muscles, joints aren't vascular. They don't have that blood flow. And therefore, they aren't meant to handle that abuse again and again. Break down your muscles and they will take days to recover. Break down your joints and they will take months to recover. Lastly, I want you to think about how long I waited to talk about volume. It was the last minute of this podcast, whereas a lot of people who are beginners or intermediates, they want to go straight to the volume. They want to do it in mixed modal work and they want to get after it and do a bunch of double unders all at once. And that's not the way that you get good at double unders. You have to take your time. You have to layer slowly. You have to do that in controlled environments first. You have to add speed. You have to be able to control your state, manipulate your breathing, do all these things. And then you get to earn the right to add the volume in at the very end. And at that point, you're ready to handle it. It's appropriate for you and you'll be safe in doing that. Hope you guys enjoyed my little spiel on double under development. Thanks for listening. And as always, stay the course. Hey, it's Ben again. And one of my main responsibilities besides producing content like the fitness movement is being a coach. I work one-on-one with athletes to create an individualized plan to help them reach their goals. So let's say you hire me. The first thing I'll do is learn about you. We'll jump on a video call and chat. And this is something we do every training cycle. It becomes a very regular part of our schedule, which allows us to stay on the same page with things. I'll also take you through an in-depth assessment to really get a very accurate, detailed look at where you're at and what your specific limitations are. Then it's my job to create a plan to help you achieve your goals. In other words, taking you from where you're at to where you want to be. And here's the thing is that I will be 100% the person to program every workout for you. And when you send me film and tagging your videos, I'll be the one providing adjustments for your technique and cues to help you correct your movement errors. So you pay me month by month and there's zero commitment. You have nothing to risk and all the gains to make. Sign up today by going to zorfitness.com slash coaching or email me at ben at zorfitness.com.